Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's driving the conversation in California today? Every weekday at this time, we explore a topic that's making news in our state. This is the State of California. And good afternoon. I'm Doug Sovereign, KCBS political reporter and host of the State of California, along with Patty Rising and Jeff Bell. The area just got walloped by once-in-a-century storm that drenched the region with record rainfall. But even though it shattered October rain records, the storm is not enough to end California's worst drought in decades, and the state still faces significant water challenges ahead. California remains under a statewide drought emergency, and it remains to be seen if this soaking was a harbinger of a wet winter or an isolated event. Meanwhile, the Bay Area is projected to almost double in population over the next 50 years. And if we don't have enough water for almost 8 million people now, what will happen when there are 15 million people living here in the year 2070? I just hope we have jetpacks and flying cars by then to beat the traffic. Well, the San Francisco-based nonprofit think tank SPUR, used to be known as the San Francisco Bay Area Planning and Urban Research Association, is out with a new report called Water for a Growing Bay Area. And we are joined live today on the KCBS Ring Central Newsline by the co-author of that report, Laura Feinstein. She is Sustainability and Resilience Policy Director at SPUR. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, So if we added 7 million people and 2 million new homes and 2 million more jobs over the next 50 years, do we have enough water to sustain that kind of development and growth? Hi, Doug. Well, that's kind of a complicated question. If we keep using water the same way we're using it today, the simple answer is no, we won't have enough water in 2070. But the thing is, if you look back at the past four decades, Californians have steadily used less water. Um, And uh, we use about half the water we used to use in the 1970s. So if those same trends continue by 2070, then the answer is yes, we do have enough water for everyone. Okay, so not to be the pessimist here, but we've seen this year that Californians have not reduced their water use despite voluntary rationing by the state. Uh, They wanted us to cut back by, what, 15 percent, and in most cases it's been single digits, and in L.A. water use actually went up. Why do you think that's the case? Well, I think that this sort of short-term request to conserve where people have to really radically change their behavior are not nearly as effective as the types of efficiency changes that happen without you having to think about them. So uh, it's tough to remember to shorten your shower or to uh, reduce how much you water your lawn. But on the other hand, it's not tough to use less water every time you flush your toilet because the toilets that are installed these days are so much more efficient than the ones that were available 30 years ago. So those types of passive efficiency that happen without you thinking about it are a lot more effective than these sort of short-term attempts to save water. You mentioned we are using about half as much as water as we did back in the 70s. Is it because of those passive efficiencies? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. People haven't changed their behavior all that much. We still, I hope, take showers and uh, clean our dishes and so on. But it's because our faucets and all of our plumbing devices use less water. Plus, we've gotten a little better about fixing leaks. We still have a lot of water loss to leaks. 
uh, those are the big reasons why uh, why the region uses so much less water per person than we used to. So, so a lot of this is cultural adaptation. People rip out their lawns and they plant drought-tolerant gardens or artificial turf, taking shorter showers, as you say. And a lot of it is, you know, appliances getting more efficient. So what further steps do we need to take to make sure we do have enough water in the future? So some of the big things are that there is technology on the market right now that's a lot more efficient than what's in most people's homes. So continuing to upgrade plumbing. And then we need to see some big changes in how people use water outdoors in particular. We've grown accustomed to looking at these beautiful lush lawns that are grown with tropical grasses. And that's not the type of plants that grow in California's environment. So changing what we plant uh, to be the types of plants that grow in this environment. And then we're also looking to businesses to start to do their part of saving more water as well. Is there a potential affordability gap here? I mean, not everyone can afford to fix leaks or install more efficient appliances or even those more drought-resistant uh, landscaping options. Uh, is there a role for the government in terms of subsidies or tax incentives, or how do you think that we bridge any kind of affordability gap that might play out? I'm really glad you asked that. Absolutely. A lot of the programs that have been uh, directed at helping people save water in their homes have really been structured in a way that only works for people that have a certain amount of disposable income. So, for example, you can get a, a big rebate for putting in a more efficient faucet or a more efficient toilet, but that assumes that you have a couple extra hundred dollars on hand and you can wait a month or two for the check to arrive in the mail for the rebate. So one of our big recommendations is that uh, water efficiency programs need to change how they're structured so that people get the discounts up front, which is a lot more accessible to low-income households. I want to ask you about water storage. Does the state need to build new reservoirs to store more rain and snow? What does your report project? So one of the big problems with how the climate is changing is that the way we get our rain and snow is becoming a lot more variable. So the dry years are predicted to get drier and the wet years wetter. And we've seen that over the past year. We've seen this historic drought and then historic rainfall yesterday. So when water becomes far more variable, then reservoirs don't work as well. Um, the, they don't have, uh, when you get a huge wet year, you end up not able to capture a lot of the water that falls that year. And then when you have a sustained drought, the reservoir is sitting largely empty during that period. So the way we set up our reservoirs was really set up for the climate that we had in the past 50 years and isn't really preparing us for the next 50 years. So that's why we're really arguing um, not so much for increasing storage, but for using water more efficiently. So, so you mentioned the climate. How, how connected is water smart development with climate change? I mean, we've seen the huge push for building transit villages and, and you know, building more units on single family lots to provide housing, but also address the climate crisis. How big a role is that going to play in conserving water, too? So one of the interesting things about the modeling that we did is we could really see that uh, homes that are built on smaller lots, so infill housing, uh, tend to use a lot less water than a new single-family home that's put out in a, in a greenfield area. So the big thing to realize is that, uh, that people use uh, most of their water outdoors. And so when people have smaller yards, they use less water. And then when they're in apartment buildings, you have many people sharing that outdoor space. And so they, they're extremely water efficient. 
All right. Well, Laura Feinstein, Sustainability and Resilience Policy Director at Spur, talking about the long-term water challenges facing the Bay Area, how we might meet them. You can hear the state of California every weekday at 3.30 p.m. It's also available at kcbsradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Sovereign Nation. I'm Doug Sovereign, KCBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.